Hello and welcome back to We've Made It, brought to you by Gathered.how. We're very excited to be joined by Sarah Davies, MBE. Sarah is the founder and creative director of Crafter's Companion, but you might have spotted her on TV as well because she's also one of the investors on BBC Two's Dragon's Den. In this episode, Sarah will be talking about how she started her business whilst at university and sharing her tips for anyone wanting to start their own craft business. Plus, she'll be giving us a little peek behind the scenes of the new series of Dragon's Den. On with the show. So I think we wanted to start off by asking, like, finding out a bit about your background and how you started Crafter's Companion. Is it true that you started it in your dad's shed? Almost, kind of. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's a funny one. So um, how, I, how I kind of came to start the business... So I was a management student at university and I did um, so I did one of those degrees where you did a couple of years working, a couple of years studying, sorry. Then you went and worked for a year and you did another year studying. And in that year that I went to work, I ended up working for a tiny little rubber stamp manufacturer um, who was making rubber stamps for what was the up and coming card making industry at the time. And honestly, I had no idea that all these people were into making cards as a hobby. I mean, it's right around that time. I think I remember when I started that year, there were two magazines out there being published for crafts and whatnot. By the time I finished that year with that company, there were 16 that as a business they were advertising in. So it just shows you the growth that the industry went through in that year. So it just opened my eyes to a phenomenal industry that I fell in love with in that year that I worked for this little company. And so when I went back off to university in the last year, I had a head full of magic, all these ideas of what I wanted to do. And so I kind of decided, I'm always a bit of a seize the day type person. So I was thinking, well, I don't want to wait till I graduate because the opportunity feels like it's now. So I'll start the business now, which meant running it from my university bedroom because I'd moved back to uni for my last year. And uh, and so then how my dad's shed kind of fits into it is I remember hiring my first employee who was my best friend's mum. So I used to do all the work at university. I used to, you know, I, I remember having a, a fax machine installed because that's how people used to place orders back then. Yeah, I sound really old saying that. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> 50 years ago, all the little shops all over the country used to fax their orders in. So I, I had a telephone line put into my university digs, fax machine, laser printers, and I started running it like an office I guess our York office, as it was. And my best friend's mum used to come and work in my dad's shed and pack the orders for me. And uh, so to this day, 15 years later, Kamala is a, our, she's on our board of directors and uh, still with the business. And um, it, it, honestly, it's like a fairy tale story for her. She's just come through and, and been at my, at my side for the last 15 years. That's so lovely. I remember reading... Um... Because uh, we, you know, did a bit of, like reading some of your previous interviews, and you said something about like uplifting other women and supporting other women in business, and I just thought that's so, you know, so important. Do you know? I, I, obviously, we're a female-dominated industry. Don't get me wrong; I have some cracking blokes that work for me as well. But because a lot of a lot of the success of our business, I think, is built on the fact that I have world-class people I have literally the best people in the industry I've been going around collecting them for 15 years from all over the world actually and and what you find is when you meet people in our industry a lot of them have been customers and they've I found with a lot of people they've had a very high-powered career 
and crafting has been a bit of an escape for them. I take my head, my head of product development, Leanne Chillis, she's been with me 12 years now nearly. Um, and so really high powered career. Crafting was her escape. She was a customer of ours. I got to know her because she did a couple of focus groups with us. And I could see how the skills that she had in her career were transferable to my business with a little bit of coaching and mentoring and development. And so the job that she does for me now is worlds apart to what she was doing, but she uses a lot of the skills. But as a customer, she really understands what's important to us is putting the customer at the heart of everything we do. And because I've got a company full of those customers who we've ended up employing, it means you can be so well in touch, which naturally means we end up with a lot more women. And, you know, we are overrepresented with women at board level. We're overrepresented with women at senior management level and, and right down to even junior designer level. And as a woman in business, there's nothing makes me prouder to walk out and walk around that office floor and see all these enterprising women. And we have a lot of entrepreneurs in the business as it was, very entrepreneurial people um, who like the, because I can create an entrepreneurial environment, I can support that, even though they maybe want the, the comfort blanket of the employment as well. Yeah, it's interesting you're talking about being entrepreneurial because I think probably quite a few of the people listening to this might be thinking perhaps of starting their own craft business. What would you say you've learned from your experience of st- starting your own business? Yes, so I, it's funny. I I always I always come at it from two angles when people ask me this question. I often have a lot of women, especially around the time that I had kids, a lot of my other friends or other mum friends I would get to know, they would say it was oh, you've got it made, haven't you? Life must be perfect. You're, you're your own boss, you're master of your own destiny. And I, and I think, yes, they see the nice bit of it. They don't see the years and years of hard work I've put in and probably the hard work that I, I still have to do now. They don't see that side. They just see that, oh, you've got the flexible working hours and, you know, they see me at the school gates managing to do the drop-off on a morning and think, oh, how lovely that you can start work at half nine. They don't see the... The previous week, they didn't see me at the school gate at all because I had to be away six nights in America. You know, they, so, so I think there's you've you've got to have that understanding of reality of the hard work that goes into the business as well as getting all the benefits from it. Um, but what I would say is, as long as people are prepared to go in with their eyes open, I have seen so many people create successful businesses from what was a hobby and they can be businesses at any level you know you you can take my business you know running a a 40 odd million pound business with hundreds of employees around the world essentially starting as a hobby but then also I look at a lot of the customers we have some of them you know they did maybe it's a a stay-at-home mum who while she was on maternity leave took up baking as a hobby and and now bakes cakes and and has their own website selling you know bespoke bakes that she's made or people do the same within quilting or home decor sewing and I mean paper craft is huge for that as well so I've seen so many success stories around like that but it is very much a you know you've got all the benefits of the small business but business is really hard work and one thing my dad always said to me is if you're prepared to work that hard you should absolutely do it for yourself and then you get all the benefits that come with it as well. Because did I read that your your mum and dad also um, had a business when you were younger as well? Is that right? Was it a shop? Yes. So um, so my my dad was always very entrepreneurial. So my dad had done everything, and he started out. I remember he did have a he was an engineer, and he and he uh, so when he was 
well, a little bit younger than me, when he was 30, he decided to give up his engineering career and start a little sweet shop. So he, he rented a little shop in the village, put my grandma to work, working in the shop for him, and then bought a van, and, and it was an ice cream van in the summer and pie and pea van in the winter. And my mum started working for him in one of the vans. So that's how my mum and dad met. And uh, when I when they had me, so a few years later, after they got married and had me, they decided that my mum wanted to have her own business as well. So my dad still had his, he had a little fleet of uh, vans at the time, still had his little sweet shop that my grandma helped in. And he set up um, a decorating shop. So they saw an opportunity in wallpaper and paint. So my dad helped my mum and her mum, so my other nana, set up a, a business called Weir Valley Decorating Centre, it was called. Weir Valley Crown Trade Centre was at the time. And, you know, we've now had that business 35 years. And my sister has just taken over as this, essentially the third generation um, running that business. So it's it's lovely to see how it really has, you know, come through the generations. And I remember reading, um, I, I remember meeting, making headlines in, I think it was, was it Lad Bible or one of these, you know, trendy, I, I was trending on Twitter once because I'd been quoted as, uh, as paying my son peanuts. And I always remember what it was, is when I was younger, I used to work every Saturday morning in the shop uh, you know, when I was five, six years old, they used to give me 50p and I used to polish all the paint tin lids. And that was probably my mum and dad's way of keeping me out of trouble on a Saturday morning and also instilling the value of, you know, working hard and earning my own money. And so it set me up in great stead and I decided I wanted my son to have that same experience. So now he goes to work in Auntie Helen's shop sometimes on a Saturday morning and polishes all the paint tins. And um, I said, with with a bit of inflation now, she gives him a couple of quid instead of the 50p I used to get. And yes, Oh, there he's rolling in it. <laughs> yes, I was quoted as uh, Dragon Davies pays son £2 a day to work, something ridiculous. <laughs> That's amazing. My daughter would, would happily take that payment. She's five and she's, uh, she's already saved. Well, she can't save though, <laughs> so that's her problem. <laughs> She spends it all. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to ask a little bit more about starting your own business. So we've talked a little bit about people who have crafting and it's a hobby that becomes their job. And I know quite a lot of people who have, I guess you'd call it a side hustle. So they're, they're doing their day job and they're doing their passion basically in the evenings. At what point do you decide it's the right time to take the plunge and make that your full time business, would you say? Yeah. So what I always say to people is, you know, you you never know what's around the corner. And you, you I would say if you if you are prepared to put the work in on evenings and weekends, that is the t- I always respect people more who do that. You know, so they've got the safe, secure income that's paying the mortgage and keeping the family. And then the side hustle can start off as a hobby as soon as it is to the point whereby you can see, you know, you maybe working your 40 hours a week on your job and another 40 hours a week on the side hustle. Once that side hustle is able to match the wages that you're giving up over here, then's the time to do it. I always worry when I get people who are, you know, they work in their 40 hour week and they're doing maybe, you know, 10 hours and they say, oh, yeah, that's working. I'm going to give up work. But I need what I'm earning in 10 hours. I need to do that four times over. You need to know that you can scale the business and by having four times more four four times the amount of time do you have the potential to make four times the amount of income or you know you never know if you are reaching saturation on what you're able to sell for example 
is is the limitation truly your time or is it market demand out there for what you're doing so once you've been able to prove that actually yes my limitation is just the time i can show the more time i'm putting in the more sales i'm making then it's a comfortable time to be able to say yes i'm gonna i'm gonna give that up i was really lucky not really luck but um it, i guess it is luck so when i started my business you know my husband simon i was only young at the time I, straight out you well at university i started as you know he was four years older than me so he had a, a job with a regular income so he was able to keep me in terms of he paid our mortgage he paid the bills on our house and i was able to just take minimum you know a couple of hundred pound a month that was enough for me to be able to afford to live on which meant that I could invest all of the money in the company and I didn't have that risk of knowing that I needed to pay myself a, a, a big salary at the end of each month and and I was able to do that and, and reinvest the profits in growing the business I was able to do that because I was only 21 and he was paying our mortgage for a lot of people they have a lot of you know bills and overheads and everything that needs to be paid so you want to have that that level of comfort but as soon as you can see that you have once you can get it, go grab it with both hands. The thing I really love about the sort of story of how your business started, and we're going to ask you about that as well in a minute, about specific products that you develop, but it's that you identified that element of crafters. Um, I find a lot in my career, a lot of often male colleagues or friends have been surprised that craft is a, bus- craft is a business of scale. And you identified, and it's so funny because if you look at my family, almost all the women in my family craft. So like, why is it less of a scale than football, for example, because they all knit and stitch and make cards. And you you had that sort of sense, you know, you could see that that was actually a business opportunity. And and that also this audience is so passionate about what they're doing. And I love that. And, and that's really paid off for you. That's, to be honest, that is what attracted me to the industry. I did that year when I, I was working and I worked in that little rubber stamp manufacturing firm and I went to a lot of consumer shows and I got to interact with the customer and I fell in love with our customer. For for our customers, it's not, people don't craft as a hobby. It is a passion. It is so much more than just a hobby to them. And because they love what they do so much and are so passionate about it, to develop products in that industry, to have the privilege of being able to do that these people really feel like you're making their lives better. They, it, it's a community out there. You're servicing that community. And I get to be a part of that every day. And because they love it so much, it makes me love what I do so much, What I think, which I think then that creates the culture in my business. So my staff come to work feeling empowered and excited about what we're doing every day because the customer is so lovely. You know, I think of what, what other industry would I like to be a part of that, that would give me as much enjoyment as this industry? I just don't think it's out there. I can't think of something that people are as passionate about as what our customers are about, about craft. But you're right in that sometimes men especially don't always take it as seriously. I can remember, oh, Craigie, right back, right back in the day, business was only a few years old. And I and I got selected by Ernst and Young and put forward for a big award ceremony that they ran. And it was the Entrepreneur of the Year Award. And they had their big Entrepreneur of the Year. And then they had a, a category for Emerging Entrepreneur. And I remember going to their Newcastle offices and they had like, you know, eight to ten business people. And they were all blokes suited and booted. And, you know, I walked around the room and networked as it was, chatted to everybody. And I can always remember this young lad. He was a couple of years older than me. 
And I was the only girl there. The rest were all men. And he said to me, oh, what is it that you do? And as soon as the words rolled off my tongue, I have a crafting business. I actually watched his eyes just glaze over. And I could see him looking around the room thinking, how do I get out of this conversation and move on to the next person? Because this is this is clearly not a business. And so, he, you know, he was, you know, so he listened to me. I could tell he didn't want to talk to me. So I thought, well, I don't want to waste my time with you, mate. And, and off he moved. And I can remember sitting at the award ceremony on the night and I never expected in a million years that I would be at the level that you would need to win that award. And he obviously thought he was absolutely the sort of person that should win that. I don't <laughs> even know what his business was. And I can remember we went to, it was this big fancy hotel in Mayfair in London. And, you know, they give you two free tickets, but then you could buy tickets at like hundreds of pounds each. And so I had me two free tickets and me and my husband were there. And and he'd bought a whole table and brought all these other business people with him, everything like that. And when they announced that I'd won the award and not him, I remember walking past his table and his jaw was just on the floor because I think he's thinking not only has a woman won this award, but she does craft. I mean, serious. And I just, as I walked past his table, I felt my chest puff out a little bit thinking, oh yeah, I showed you, mate, didn't I? (laughs) Yeah. It reminds me of a a saying that I've heard, the best revenge is success, which I think completely (laughs) fits this situation. (laughs) It was a wonderful moment, I can tell you. Definitely a career highlight for me. Yeah, um, on that topic, I think a lot of people struggle to know actually how to promote themselves because I think, particularly as women, we're kind of expected to downplay our our talents or say, like, oh, it's just a little thing that I made. Do you have any tips for basically promoting yourself and promoting your work? Yes, so... um, I think one thing that people would say about me is I am very self-confident and I am very a very, very positive person. And yes, I really struggle to say positive things about myself because I, I, I also, I am humble and I want to come across to everybody as being humble because nobody likes a, a smart aleck. And so and the difficulty for me is I have to do this a lot on the TV shopping channels. So because I work on TV shopping channels all over the world, the first thing we taught when you're on these TV shopping channels is you must establish credibility with the audience. So basically, the audience needs to be told, needs to be left in no uncertain terms as to why you are credible to be able to stand there and tell them that this product is this good. And I struggle to do to talk about myself in that way. So what what I always found the best thing to do was brief the, um, you know, put a document together, like a bit of a briefing document, briefing the presenter or whoever it is ahead of time, which means that every time I do a show, I don't have to blow my own trumpet. I've given them the tools to blow my trumpet and then I can look humble afterwards. And I think, you know, crafters can take that in, in exactly the same way. So quite often, if your work's good, it speaks for itself. But but if you have, whether it's won a little awards or maybe you've made something for, you know, and you've been mentioned in a magazine or something like this, if you don't feel comfortable shouting about that from the rooftops, then what you need to do is, you know, talk to talk to other people, make sure other people are shouting about it for you. I know my mum's my biggest advocate. So I don't need to say I won whatever award. She's got it all over her Facebook page. Look at my daughter. She's won this. This is awesome. And that's what you need to do with with your friends and your family to promote your business, not just 
you saying, oh, do you, do you like the things I've made? It's, you know, get your friends to say, hey, did you know she's been published in this magazine or she's made products for this person? And, and that is what, you know, you don't have to do it yourself. You can tee other people up to be your big advocates like that. Yeah. So mobilise your mum, basically. Mobilise your mum. Perfect. <laughs> I feel like also a lot of us could do with making that list for ourselves for the days where we doubt ourselves, almost like as a like you know, mantra or something, like just to remind ourselves of the things we have achieved and that they are worthy of like, you know, they're good things. Exactly. That's a great tip. I think that's just good advice for life in general. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So c- coming back to your business, can we talk a little bit about the envelope envelope makers that you came up with you can yes so and um, so how we come to do that is like I said I work for this little rubber stamp manufacturer and um right at the time so you're talking 18 19 years ago now and um, there was you used to go to the consumer shows and I remember there was boards out for folding cards loads of different people had them out there and it was basically just a square of wood and you would put your paper on the side and it would say if you want to fold a4 in half to a5 there was a groove in the right place so loads of these things out and uh, we were retailing one of somebody else's this company that i worked for and I, and i would be at consumer shows teaching people how to use this because that's how we do it. you show them it and they'll buy it and people would always say oh that's a lovely that's a really different card size that would make like a dl card or something do you know where you can get envelopes for that? And I used to get this question all the time. Where do you get envelopes for that? Where do you get envelopes for that? And and I remember taking one of these little boards home. My dad was an engineer. And I was like, Dad, to help us with my demo, can we work out how to make an envelope on this board? And he's like, yeah, that's never going to work, kid, because your lines are at 90 degrees. They would need to be at 45 for an envelope. It's just not going to work. I was like, well, can we work out how you make an envelope on one? Because you can buy these templates, but this scoring board's way more convenient. And we were on months trying to work out how to do it, deconstructing envelopes, deconstructing templates. And then eventually we kind of landed on it. And so when we did, we thought, well, this is really simple, but how come no one's thought of this before? So I remember going through the motions of actually looking it up with the patent office and realising there was nothing like this. Nobody had come up with this before. So essentially we just invented something. So I asked the, um, I got some support from, it was Business Link at the time. They helped me write a patent application and send the patent application off. And and essentially I'd invented this envelope making tool. So I then looked at, well, how am I going to take it to market? Obviously I need to manufacture them. And I looked, I, I had no idea about how to manufacture things in China or anything like that. So they helped me look at it. And to get it manufactured in the UK, it was going to cost me £30,000 to get a tool made. And then we'd pay and, you know, we'd make them in plastic. Well, I didn't have 30 grand. I was a student. I was going back to my last year at university. I'd saved up about five grand the year before, but that certainly wasn't going to pay for a 30 grand envelope making tool. So we looked at how, I, there's always more than one way to skin a cat. And so the local joiner in our village said, well, I can make them in MDF. And yes, they were three times more expensive than I would have paid for a plastic one, but I didn't have to have 30 grand up front. So we made some in MDF. And I remember going down to the shopping channel. It was Ideal World at the time. And they used to do once a week, they would do a pick of the day about crafting. And I said to them, I've got a proposition for you that's a win-win. My whole career is built on win-win propositions, by the way. It just works every time. Win-win proposition. Why don't you do one of your big card-making shows? And in that show, and you'll have your guests with all your card-making stuff, I'll come in 
and I'll make an envelope for the cards that they make and we'll have my enveloper as an upsell. So it's not the main, it's just an upsell and it only takes a few minutes out of your show and everybody who's buying that card making kit that day should want to buy the enveloper. And you'll learn with me, I can sell anything to anyone. And I convinced that buyer, she had, her, her life was not going to be complete unless she had these envelopers on her show. And so she went along with it. I'm cutting a very long story short here, but bottom line was 24th of October, 2005. And I went down and I there was the card making show. And, you know, we, we launched the show. And the plan was, it was nine o'clock, pick of the day launch, uh, they were going to give, if you've ever watched these shows at the start, they tell you all the products coming up in the show. And then they went to the main item that was the pick of the day. And the plan was to do this pick of the day for most of the time. And then a few minutes before the end, they would bring the card that she'd make over to me and I'd make the envelope for it. So we started off that night and uh, we made, you know, they, they, st- they introduced everything at the top of the show. Then the, 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 Main pick of the day guest did the card demonstration, made the card, and the floor manager came and spoke to me and said, we're going to come to you a bit early for the demo, if that's okay. This was at quarter past nine. So they came to me, brought the card over. I made an envelope for the card out of a lovely printed pattern scrapbooky paper so that it all matched. They were like, oh, that's beautiful. So he went back to the pick of the day guest. Five minutes later, the floor manager came back to me. We're getting ready to come to you for another demo, Sarah. I said, oh, well, it's the same demo. It's just an yeah. envelope. And they said, well, we're coming back for another demo. So I just made a different shape envelope. Off they went. Ten minutes later, we're coming back for another demo. I was like, crikey, we're only supposed to do one. And they bought 8,000 envelopers, and it was to sell all through the whole day. And uh, they came back to me four times in that show. And basically, we did that show in the midnight show. We sold out of everything. It was literally one of the fastest selling craft products they'd ever launched on the channel customers just couldn't couldn't believe it couldn't get enough of it the the little joinery firm in our village ramped up manufacturing and he was able to output a thousand a week and then he upscaled that to two thousand a week bottom line is by christmas we'd sold thirty thousand envelopers he could not get them off the production lines as fast as i could sell them every time we had four five thousand more i'd go back to the tv studio i'd I'd be the upsell on that show we'd sell all of them and then we'd wait and build up stock and go back down again and so by the January, I'd basically made enough profit on the wooden ones that I paid the 30000 to have the tool made in plastic. And from then on, we've always sold plastic ones. And, and actually, by the January, I was on a plane out to America because I figured, tell you what, if, if this many people want to make envelopes in the UK, how many are going to want to make envelopes in America? I'm going over to America. We're going <laughs> to crack the American market three months later. <laughs> wow, you move fast. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, it was a wake-up call, though. So I get to America in the January, and I, I took myself off to a trade. It was in Las Vegas, I remember. Flew, I mean, and I'm a right country bumpkin. I'm not going to lie. You know, I got the heebie-jeebies getting the train to London, let alone a flight from London to Las Vegas on my own. And I'm just wandering, wandering around this trade show in Las Vegas, trying to show anybody who listened to us about my envelope maker. And uh, big wake-up call. So it turns out in America envelopes are all different sizes to here so they couldn't even buy my envelope maker <laughs> because it was all english size. Well, I'm, they're not english sizes they're the rest of the world sizes america has their own sizing for papers and envelopes as i quickly learned and also card making would gone through this huge boom and rise in the uk but it hadn't in america 
they all did scrapbooking. I was going to say, was it scrapbooking? Yeah. yeah. Over in the UK, it was 10 to 1 card makers to a scrapbooker. In the US, it wasn't even 10 to 1 the other way. Nobody made cards. But the good thing for me was I had that learning quite quickly and I was able to establish my business model. And then a few years later, when the trend for card making really hit, I'd learned all about different paper sizes and how to export products to the US and and how to do warehousing and selling in the US. So that by the time we launched in America with that product a few years later, I had my ducks in a row. And so we've gone on to sell millions of envelopers actually all around the world. Wow, that's such a brilliant story of identifying a need and then making something to fit it. It's well, really you great. try and tell someone outside of our industry, oh, yeah, I made my million selling an envelope making device. A non-crafter would be like, who wants to make envelopes when you can just buy them? But do you know what? Oh, I used to make my own envelopes when I was like 10, 11 years old, but I would just like work it out. But if I'd have had that tool, I would I would love loved it. Well, to a crafter and, and the, the demo that always gets people is I remember when I started out crafting, gatefold cards were huge but I, I could never get them right. So I would fold it and then I'd fold the next bit and they wouldn't quite meet in the middle and I'd adjust it. And, my, and then where, whatever wasn't right, I'd just cut a bit off the bottom. And so I'd show people, if you make a card like, and you just like, and you end up cutting a bit off the bottom or cutting a bit off the side and it doesn't fit a regular envelope, well, now you can make your own envelope. And then also I'll show a really beautiful card and say, look how fabulous this card is. You're going to ruin that whole experience of the recipient by putting it in a white or a manila envelope. Who, who am I kidding? Whereas, look, we can make a beautiful envelope in exactly the, the right matching paper and the whole experience starts with the packaging. Well, just for gift giving, why shouldn't it for give, giving the card as well? And as soon as you saw that seed to a, to a crafter, it's, you know, $9.99 for an enveloper is absolutely, yep, talk, talk, I'll, I'll, have, I'll have it straight away. Because um, my, my thing that I'm really fascinated about with you is because I remember in the noughties, the Crafter's Companion, the range of like folding and scoring tools. Yeah. I was working on one of the paper craft magazines at the time. And but somehow since then, like you've launched die cutting, you've launched the Gemini die cutting machine. Yep. You've got your own craft TV channel online, like uh, let alone a myriad, you know, needle craft products, <laughs> embroidery. Like when did you sort of say I'm. I'm going to like really branch out into other areas from papercraft from the from the initial set of tools. Yep. So it all comes back to that thing I said at the beginning of I collect the best people in the world in this industry. And I'm really fortunate that I get to travel all over the world, not at the moment, but you know, prior to lockdown and I would travel the world regularly at trade shows, consumer shows, to present on different TV channels, and you come across exceptional people. And what I've found is when you come across exceptional people, I make jobs for them in my business. Even if we don't have a natural place to put that person at the moment or whatever, when they're great people, we create a job for them. And I always say, it'll take you about a year to learn our business. And then after that year, you can tell me how you can add value. And, you know, whether it's someone I picked up who is exceptional at TV output and next thing I know I've got my own you know I, I bring them into the business because I really like that person now I've got like you say my own TV channel online or whether that is you know somebody who's really into sewing and then ends up taking me down the needle craft path with our products uh, whether it's with the Gemini it was we met an exceptional engineer 
And so we recruited the engineer who then took us down the path of developing our own machines. It's always been down to people. And I think, you know, my role's easy. I'm just I'm just the leader of the business. I'm just the person that goes out and finds the best people and creates an environment where they love coming to work and they are empowered to take this business forward. And that that's that's the role that I play. And then I'm just basically keeping all those like a herd of galloping horses, and I just make sure they're all galloping in the same direction and going the same speed, and I just keep them pointed that way. That's my job. Yeah. Okay. Shall we move on to talking about Dragon's Den now, since we haven't covered that yet? So when this is going out, the new series will be out, which I think you've recorded secretly. Can you tell us how that came about? Yes. So uh, generally, they always record through April, May time. And uh, the new series every year, Craigie, we're on series 18 now. This will be series 19 coming out next year. Always airs late summer. So because of everything COVID related, all of our filming was cancelled, as with most TV programmes, uh, you know, just a few weeks before we were due to film. And they were worried a lot of TV programmes actually got cancelled this year and they then weren't able to remake them at all because they haven't been able to find a COVID friendly way of doing that. Well, the great thing about Dragon's Den is, you know, it is BBC Two's flagship programme. And so they were desperate to get the programme underway. They were able to create a COVID safe environment. You know, we moved our chairs further apart. We didn't have interaction with the entrepreneurs. Don't want to spoil too much of it. You'll have to watch the new series. Um, But we were able to find a way that we could safely film and output the series. And honestly, I was, well, all five of the Dragons, we were blown away by the calibre of entrepreneurs that came through this series. Now, it's easy for me to say this was only my second series, but for Peter Jones, this was his 19th series, and he said it was the strongest lineup of businesses he'd seen in 19 years. And I think a lot of that could be down to the economic times at the moment, a lot of people being put on furlough. What has I heard someone refer to the other day? Furloughpreneurship, I think it was. You know, people who, who have started businesses while they've been on furlough, so many opportunities coming out of this. And I just think, you know, necessity is the mother of invention and limitation feeds creativity. And you couple those two together and you've just created a, a perfect, perfect storm in terms of timing and opportunity for business at the moment. Whether that's business in our industry, as we've been talking about, but across the board, if you can think outside the box businesses who've been able to pivot and then businesses who've started, you know, new businesses in the t- in times of adversity where they can see our opportunity. And we were fortunate enough to see the very, very front of that coming through the den this series. So I can tell you, you'll, you'll see it as the series comes out. What a phenomenal series and a cracking lineup of businesses we've had in there. Are you allowed to reveal any any pictures that particularly impressed you? Are you allowed to give us any details? Who are your favourites? I will not. I'm uh, my lips are sealed. What I will tell you is, we had a few cracking, crafty businesses come through, and I would like to think that that could be my influence of people who saw me on the program last year, either felt inspired or felt like, do you know what? I'm going to I'm going to apply for Dragon's Den this year because there's somebody in there who I think will relate to me and relate to the business. I remember there was one that we had and um, two young girls had started a business. It's a cracking business. 
crafty business. They were started off doing workshops and then they'd expanded it out. They pivoted the business during um during lockdown to take it more online. Huge opportunity. But of course the other dragons can't couldn't wrap their head around how to commercialize the business. Well immediately I could. And I mean, they got a really rough time off some of the other dragons over not knowing their numbers, not having their commercial plan in place, all stuff that high level investors expect to see. Well, these these two young creative girls were true creatives and weren't the more. I'm sure they wouldn't mind me saying it. We're not the most most commercial people. But I could see that opportunity there. And I guess that gives me a really unique position sitting there in that seat and has, has meant that I've looked at a lot of the businesses coming through this year in a, in a bit of a different light. Do you like to, when you decide who you are going to invest in, um, is it an extra bonus for you if you feel that they have a need that you are able to mentor them with? You know, it's not just about the financial gain. It's about what you can, how you can develop them and their business. Totally. Because, you know, being totally honest, you know, I make my money being in Crafters Companion in our business. And every day that I am away from my business working on another business is not going to be as profitable for me as, as what being in my own business would. So for me, I see Dragon's Den and my involvement with other businesses as, as a bit of a hobby. You know, it's it's something I do in my own time outside. It's not part of my job. It's part of my personal time. So I need to get personal enjoyment from it. It's not for me about just about making the money from it. You want to make money, but because the money is the measure of success. So I'm looking for people that I will enjoy working with, businesses that excite me, opportunities out there in the market where I can see that I can make a difference and I can add something. Because I know that I'll personally get a lot of personal satisfaction from fulfillment from that. I would never invest in a business, even if it was I mean, I, I had a one, you know, the, the business was the best thing and, and the other dragons were all fighting over it. And I and I just had to say, do you know what, guys? It just doesn't float my boat. It's just not my sort of thing. And also they were very commercial, strategic thinking people. And it just didn't strike me as something that was going to be particularly fun for me to do. So I said, you know, I, I'm probably walking away from a huge opportunity to make money here and people must think I'm crazy. But I'm not going to enjoy doing this, so I'm not going to bother doing it. And that's that's my attitude to it a lot of the time. Yeah, would you say that sets you apart from the other dragons then, that you come in with a different approach? It's definitely, sometimes it's to my detriment, but more often than not, it gives me an advantage in there as well. And it's, you know, life's too short to do things that you don't enjoy doing. And, And I love my time in the den. And I really, really enjoy the time that I spend with, my entrepreneurs, I always call them. I mean, one of, one of my guys from last year, little Will from MacTalk, bless him. Um, he calls he calls me me dragon, me dragon. <laughs> you know, he says I'm. I, I, he'll just he'll text us and I'll say I'm just texting me dragon. See how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I watched the one where you invested in him, and I did have a little cry. It was so lovely. <laughs> he is as lovely as he comes across. Honestly, oh, he really is. The little song, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, for for anybody who hasn't seen it, he came in with a guitar and sang a little song and it was lovely. And he cried and I gave him 50 grand. Go on, tell the full tale. <laughs> tell the full I get people stopping me on the street, pretend to sing that song to me and, and wipe away a tear and then go, will you give me 50 grand? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've got a bit of a reputation for being the soft one off the back of that, but uh, he's a crack. He's a cracking lad. He really, really is. And I, I could see that in him straight from the off. So do you have a lot of contact then with the contestants after the show finishes? 
Yes, it it varies. It it really varies from one to one, depending on what they need. You know, some people do need a little bit more hand holding and support. Others, I mean, to be honest, I don't really get in ones that just need the money because that's that doesn't float my boat as it was. Um, but some of them might need a lot of help up front. You know, I did one last year, flip top they were called, and um, what they needed help with was manufacturing and sourcing. So I did quite a lot of work with them up front. And then also when my team were out in China on a, they were out there doing a three week product development cycle where they would sit and we were working on a new machine and they would be in the factories working with the engineers. I arranged for Fliptop to fly out at the same time so that my engineers could help support them in their development as well. And so that is what I I needed to help them with a lot up front. But then day to day, they're fine with running their business because they were great business people. So little Will, bless him, keeps saying little. He's not that little. <laughs> you know, he needed help with a lot of door opening and contacts. Now he sells on the shopping channels and, you know, he's got a lot. So I, I've done all of that. I did a lot of coaching and mentoring with him, teaching him, teaching him how to sell on TV as well. But now he does that and he's off and he's flying. So I don't need to have as much day-to-day interaction with him. We've got a call next week you know, just to catch up ahead of Christmas. And so it, it, it does vary from, from business to business. Okay. Um, I did actually want to ask a little bit more about how it worked this year. Because did you, I know on Bake Off, they made all of the contestants stay in a hotel together. Did you have a similar kind of thing that you had to do? Did you have to bubble together? So we didn't bubble together because we, because everybody, well, all the dragons are business people and working in business, and we would do, um, you know, four days filming, then back into our business for a few days. What we had to do was we had to all, so everyone had to wear masks. We had to always be two metres distanced from everybody. And then we, obviously the, all of the temperature checking and everything like that, regular checking on it and every every week as it was. But we just had to, we were able to distance so I can sit, for example, you know, I'm a celebrity. You can see they all hug each other and they're in each other's space because they've bubbled together. Whereas for us, we just kind of always kept a distance to minimise that risk. And hence, we were able to minimise the risk and we came through the whole series filming really successfully. I'm really excited for this series because I feel like the nation needs like these favourite TV shows. Like after after last year, you know, you I think you really saw that response to Bake Off and I'm a Celebrity of everyone is just so happy to have the reassuring <laughs> like these familiar faces back on our screens and um it'll be really great to see yeah i totally agree and to have a bit of a a good story you know to, for them to be able to see that you know the the positivity of all these fantastic businesses flourishing through this you know economic downturn and you know to see that there is through all this negativity there's some positives come out of this too Speaking of positives, uh, we were wondering, so we've noticed, obviously, we run a craft website and there was a huge surge in demand for crafting last year, which was really lovely to see. I think it takes people back to a real basic instinct to, to make things. And obviously, there was like this global shortage of sewing machines. And in fact, I saw that last time I looked, your overlocker was sold out as well. Have you seen any sort of shortages of products as a result? You know, has it changed the demand for you, you know? your business as well massively you know I was in a board meeting just earlier this week and um one of our board directors over in America said that there's just been a a report published from another company she works with that um 30% of new people have tried a craft during lockdown and of that 30% of people who've tried it 
the main reason that people cited for getting into crafts was mental well-being. And I just, it, it put the biggest smile on my face to see that people are recognising this is a stressful time and we need to de-stress. And how are we going to do that? What a fantastic thing to do with crafts. And, and you know, I mean, craft is my life. I do it all the time. So I guess for me, paper crafting isn't necessarily a stress relief because the majority of time I'm paper crafting, it's because I'm preparing for shows or demonstrations. So I remember for me, something I hadn't done since I was a little girl, and um, my grandma taught me to crochet. Never quite got the hang of knitting, but I really got into crochet. And the crochet rainbows became a really big thing on Pinterest and whatnot. So I remember getting some of the wool, getting a crochet hook and watching, like downloading a pattern and watching a tutorial on how to do it. And I was doing one of these little crochet, I was doing two or three a week and just dropping them off at my friend's houses and everyone's putting them in the windows. And so for me, that was my own way of, you know, finding a little bit of stress relief on a night and just having that bit of time to myself even though I'm in that industry and I know all the benefits, that was me not even consciously making a decision of I need to de-stress. But that's what I found was was my de-stressing type of thing. That and baking. I've done nothing but bake all summer. Um, so it, but it's, it's fabulous to hear that people are recognising that. Whatever craft people have picked up, whether it's dusting the sewing machine off or buying a new sewing machine or people who've got into jewellery making over the break, you know, it's, it is wonderful to see. Yeah, I think it's good. I think also there's an element of people rediscovering things that they used to enjoy. So, I mean, for me personally, over lockdown, I started doing lino printing again, which is something I really enjoy. It's so much fun. Um, And I also had this crochet blanket, which I hadn't done anything with for about a year. So I like picked up my hook and I finally finished it. So it was my lockdown blanket. So I think there's a lot of people, you know, doing that kind of thing. Have you done that, Zoe? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, well, actually, I taught my son to make quilts. He's only he's eight, and um, we, he made his first quilt over lockdown, which is really lo- and it's so surprising because at that age, I don't know. You've got sons, haven't you, Sarah? Four and six, yeah. And you know, there's certain things that you think boys would like, but and he, you know, he loves playing Mario on his Switch. But when he saw me making like cutting these squares of fabric and then sewing them together on a sewing machine, he was so interested and so like. And it was such a treat for him that he got to come up to, I mean, I don't have a craft room. I just basically craft at this table we're sat at now. Um, and, you know, in, in an evening we, when his sister had gone to bed, we would sit and like make quilts together. And it was just such, it was lovely, really nice. And do you know what? There'll be, I, I mean, I did a similar thing with, with our Oliver. We had the sewing machine out. We upcycled all of his T-shirts that were too small and made little Lego bags. When I was doing a lot of the... Um, you know, there was a call out at the start of lockdown for scrubs bags for the NHS yeah. workers. I was making loads of them and he was interested in that. So we started making Lego bags and whatnot with his old T-shirt. And then he would come down with his best T-shirts that still fit him wanting to cut them up. And I'd be saying, no, son, I'll get up the loft and I'll get your old clothes out that we were saving for your brother. You're not cutting those up. <laughs> But That's isn't it a great, great idea. That kids are so interested. Oh, we did lots of them. Yeah. We've got, we've got more. We've never been as organised in our house with the Lego as we are at the moment. Bags, <laughs> so many bags. <laughs> yeah, I think. I also think that the appeal to a child that age of being allowed to press the pedal on a sewing machine is literally one of the highlights of their life so far. They're like, "What? I'm allowed." 
I don't know about you, we've had to put a rim. I put our sewing machine at the kitchen table and I've got like his old little chair that he had when he was a kid. That's what I have to put the sewing machine pedal on. And he sits on my knee and operates the pedal on, on the extra little high chair. Oh, it's fabulous, isn't it? It is lovely. I can see you've got some artwork in the background, actually. Did your children? Yes, this is it. That we were, I was driving them to where I, was, I drive them to work one, mo- one morning. My mum was coming to pick them up from work for me. And there was a rainbow over our office. So they and then they sat at my mum's house. They always paint at my mum's house. They, they painted our office with the rainbow on the top. So and then I, that is treasure. The pictures that they've done for me and whatnot. <laughs> It's really good drawing for those listening. Really impressed, quite impressive artistic skills. <laughs> oh, yeah. I feel like we should share a picture of that one. It's really cute. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, as you run your own craft business, you must be quite aware of new things that are coming up. So I was wondering if you had any insight into what are going to be the big craft trends in 2021. The ones you can tell us. Yes. Yes, we do. Lo- we do loads and loads of trend spotting in our business. Um, I think there is definitely, you know, upcycling has been big now for two or three years. But I, I believe we're going to see it kind of come to life in a bit of a different way still. As all these new people are getting into crafts, I think there will be a lot of emphasis on what can we use around the home to be able to upcycle. And I know I, I try and do little craft projects on my, my Instagram every week that are literally just using bits of stuff you'd have around the house. So I've been doing a lot of Christmas ones recently and I did some, um, you know, converting, taking some little um, brown paper bags and making them into snowflake hangers and, you know, using some cinnamon sticks and gluing them onto some old candle holes. There's all sorts of stuff you can do. So I think there will be a definite big draw on upcycling. So even in an even different way to what we're seeing at the moment. Um, and then also, obviously, we do a lot in colouring. So I definitely, I'm seeing a lot starting to come through of like reforming colour. So we, we had the paint pouring last year and there's a lot of work on like, um, you know, not just paint as a medium, but liquid mediums and, and, you know, using the liquid mediums in different ways. So we've got our team on exploring a lot of different options there and where that might go. So I definitely think there's going to be something in around uh, colour reformation. I think it's one of the most like satisfying things about crafting when you have paints and colouring, you know, like it's just so visual, isn't it? Like it's just a rainbow of just sort of positivity. It's really therapeutic. Because I, I love that there was the whole painting by numbers really took off last year as well. And like, and I always know things take off when like my sister-in-law was buying painting by numbers books and, you know, like people that wouldn't normally have been crafting were, were, ha- were seeing the appeal and talking about this product that you didn't have before. Yep. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting if colouring is coming back because it seems like a few years ago there were colouring books everywhere it was a massive trend and then they kind of disappeared so i definitely saw because obviously we do a lot of coloring products about 25 percent of our business is coloring globally and and for all coloring books moved out i think the demand for coloring products didn't dwindle with it it definitely seems to have started a change in behavior as opposed to being a fad that came in and went out oh that's really interesting Um, Let's, let's hope i'm right yes yeah I often find my daughter's got an old Molly Makes colouring um, magazine that I got from work. And when she does it, I end up getting really sucked into doing it with her. <laughs> like, it's really like, oh, I think I'll just stay for another 10 minutes, <laughs> colour this bit in. Bless. I wanted one to ask you one thing, um, which is, what's it like getting an MBE? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, I've got a picture up there of the day. 
it was uh, it was unbelievable. It really was, and it was fabulous for me. But it was even better for my parents. You know, I, I remember just the whole experience of going to the palace and, you know, getting ushered round. And the day I went, I remember it was the day Rod Stewart was getting his knighthood as well. So my mum was all excited that she was like sat four rows along from Penny Lancaster. And, you know, she was going to be in the room when all that happened. And and it was it was just, it was such a surreal experience. But, but one of, I mean, obviously a career highlight, one of the most rewarding things ever. But like I said, I, I enjoyed it more seeing how proud my family were as opposed to just how it made me feel. That's lovely. Yeah. Did the Queen say anything to you? Was it the Queen who gave it to you? I had Prince William. Oh, and Prince I William. Was, um, I was, it was two days before I gave birth to my second son. So I waddled up to him with a 50-pound bump in four-inch heels <laughs> and he took one look at me and said, wow, that looks like it's coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, yeah, yeah, there's any day now. And then, um, and then he said, so this enveloper, I hear it's a great product and you could have knocked me over with a feather. And obviously I look back now and think someone must have said to him, by the way, she invented the enveloper. Um, but to have Prince William say that, and I always think if I could go back in time to one moment and, and think of something to say, I just wish I'd said something like, oh yeah, is your gran into making cards like <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Maybe the Queen is a card maker. You never know. <laughs> but normally we do have one thing where we ask our guests to say share like one good thing that's happened to them in the last week or something that they want to recommend. I don't know if you have one prepared. So um, I would say one of the things, you know, you talked about the fact that you'd made a, a lockdown quilt with your son. I've had a lot of people contact me and say they've they've wanted to achieve something in lockdown and a couple of people I know have, have written a book so for example there's one just come out in the last few weeks um Georgie about how to raise entrepreneurial kids and and I was asked to be a contributor for that and then another friend of mine wrote a one on delivering celebrity service and I was asked to contribute on that and it's for me because business has been at the forefront of a lot of people's minds recently I've been asked to contribute and give advice so often so even on Monday this week I was on BBC uh, the BBC breakfast program that they do talking about entrepreneurialism and trying to inspire people to get into entrepreneurialism and I think for me it's been such a privilege to be able to do that and do so much of that Um, and I find every week it's somewhere I'm getting to share some knowledge and passion so um, that's definitely been a highlight for me. Oh that's really lovely. I've learned a lot, actually, about entrepreneurialism from this conversation. I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> yeah, we'll be going off and starting our own businesses now. <laughs> Watch this space. I'll, I'll be watching. Brilliant. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of We've Made It, and we'll be back soon with some more exciting guests. If you have any thoughts or feedback that you'd like to share with us about the podcast, you can find us on social media. Just look for Gathered on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. If you're looking for your next craft project to make, don't forget we've got lots of inspiration and ideas over on our website, gathered.how. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. <laughs>